This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Space News Pod. This is a show where we discuss SpaceX, NASA, and spaceflight. I'm your host, Will Walden. First up is about NASA and SpaceX and the Artemis III mission. Now, the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, has released a report indicating that NASA's highly anticipated Artemis III moon landing, originally scheduled for late 2025, is likely to be postponed until at least 2027. This delay is attributed to slower-than-expected progress in the development of both the human landing system, the Starship, and new lunar spacesuits by Axiom Space. The report, released on November 30th, provides a comprehensive analysis of the challenges and the setbacks that have impacted the Artemis program, a cornerstone of NASA's efforts to return humans to the lunar surface for the first time since 1972. Now, the GAO's findings highlight several critical issues with the HLS development under SpaceX. The report notes that the project has encountered various challenges, including a condensed timeline, delayed development milestones, and extensive technical work still required. The report suggests that the pace of progress on HLS is slower than expected, with more than half the allocated schedule consumed just to reach the preliminary design review phase. This lag contrasts with the average progression rate for major NASA projects, which typically complete the phase within 35% of their overall timelines. And a crucial aspect of SpaceX's HLS program is the Starship Lunar Lander. Despite the company's efforts, the GAO report points out that SpaceX has had to postpone several key events from 2023 to 2024, further compressing the already tight schedule. Technical milestones yet to be achieved include the validation of Starship Super Heavy's Raptor engine performance, and demonstrating the ability to transfer cryogenic propellant in space. The latter is a prerequisite for the critical design review of the Starship lander. NASA officials, while acknowledging these challenges, have not disclosed specific details regarding the revised schedule of HLS development submitted by SpaceX. Jim Free, NASA's Associate Administrator for Exploration Systems Development, emphasize that the interconnectedness of the lander's development with other elements of the Artemis program during a meeting of the NASA Advisory Council's Human Exploration and Operations Committee. The GAO report also sheds light on the development of lunar spacesuits by Axiom Space. The report flags potential delays in this area, noting that Axiom is still in the early stages of suit development with a preliminary design review scheduled for November. Challenges include redesigning parts of the suit to meet NASA's requirements for emergency life support capabilities and dealing with supply chain issues that could extend lead times for critical components. GAO's analysis underscores the ambitious nature of the Artemis III mission schedule. The HLS program aims to complete its development in 79 months, 13 months less than the average for NASA major projects. Now, this condensed timeline, combined with the complexity of human spaceflight, presents significant hurdles going forward. The report reveals that as of September of 2023, the HLS program had delayed eight of 13 key events by at least six months, including critical tests that were postponed due to technical issues. 
And the challenges facing SpaceX's development of the HLS include the need for advanced technical capabilities like in-orbit propellant storage and transfer. Similarly, Axiom's effort to develop modernized spacesuits based on NASA's design faces its own set of design and development challenges. In response to these challenges, NASA has implemented additional processes to ensure that SpaceX's and Axiom Space's designs and systems meet mission requirements and maintain crew safety. This includes supplemental processes for system validation and insight clauses and contracts to maintain visibility into the contractor's development work. The GAO report is part of an ongoing assessment of NASA's Artemis program. Mandated by the House report provision, it aims to evaluate the progress in developing key systems for the Artemis III moon mission and to ensure that these systems will fulfill NASA's needs and uphold safety standards. This potential delay in the Artemis III mission represents a significant shift in NASA's timeline for returning humans to the moon. The Artemis program, which is integral to maintaining U.S. leadership in space exploration and preparing for future missions to Mars, now faces the challenge of overcoming these development hurdles to achieve its historic objectives. Next, we're diving into a space mystery in March 2022, a piece of Chinese space debris made a startling impact on the moon, leaving behind a particular double crater. Now, this impacts NASA's upcoming flights of Artemis and possibly SpaceX's Starship flights to the moon. Now, this intriguing event has captured the attention of astronomers and researchers worldwide. The debris, identified as a part of a Chinese Long March 3C rocket booster, collided with a lunar surface near the Hertzsprung Crater. Researchers from the University of Arizona have published a study suggesting this booster carried an undisclosed payload, adding to the mystery. Now, the story of this lunar anomaly dates back to 2015, and astronomers initially mistook the debris for a SpaceX Falcon 9 booster. However, later analysis confirmed its origins in China's lunar rover mission. The recent study reveals notable deviations in the debris behavior in space. A typical rocket booster would exhibit some wobbling due to its asymmetrical structure. This booster exhibited a stable, end-over-end -end tumbling motion, hinting at additional mass. Now, this additional mass likely counterbalanced the heavy engines on the rocket's bottom and the engines weighed approximately 1,200 pounds each, sands the fuel. Now, the known instruments on the booster, however, weighed only about 60 pounds in total, and the impact on the moon created not one, but two distinct craters. Such a phenomenon is unprecedented in lunar exploration history. Now, this unique double crater formation further supports the hypothesis of an extra payload. Identifying the nature of this additional payload has proven challenging, though. The Change 5T1 mission launched in 2014 was initially involved in this confusion. And the mysterious payload could have been anything from extra structural support to unknown instrumentation. NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter captured images of these craters, providing crucial data for analysis. And the images showed two overlapping craters at the Hertzsprung Crater on the moon's far side. Such a discovery had never been seen before in previous NASA moon impacts. The University of Arizona researchers conducted a detailed analysis using light reflection data and computer simulations. And these efforts linked the debris to the Change 5T1 rocket. And this analysis contradicted the Chinese space agency's claim that the rocket had disintegrated in Earth's atmosphere. 
This incident highlights the growing need for space situational awareness. And as human activities in space increase, monitoring defunct space hardware becomes crucial. The University of Arizona's Space Force Center is actively engaging in this critical research area. While the nature of the extra payload might remain a mystery for now, the incident offers valuable insights. It emphasizes the importance of understanding and tracking debris and could affect upcoming missions to the lunar surface. NASA's Artemis mission, which is slated for 2024 or 2025, will be looking closely at the data to better understand the risks involved. Now, keeping on the topic of space flight and SpaceX, there's a fascinating topic surrounding SpaceX's Starship, the company's flagship spacecraft designed for ambitious missions to Mars and beyond, if you're not familiar. Now, Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX, recently shared insights into why the Starship adopts a two-stage design rather than a single stage to orbit, the SSTO model, which is a concept that has been a topic of discussion lately. And here's what happened. SpaceX Starship, which is a pivotal for the company's plans for space exploration, comprises of two main parts, the super heavy booster and the spacecraft, the Starship itself. Together, it's called the Starship Super Heavy. And this design is crucial for its intended missions to orbit to the moon and to Mars. And the conversation about Starship design was sparked by a user on X. They edited a photo showing the Starship without its super heavy booster, essentially presenting it as an SSTO vehicle, just the Starship flying to orbit. Musk, known for his interactive social media presence, responded to this post, explaining the impracticality of an SSTO design for Earth due to its higher gravity in contrast to Mars, where such a design would be more feasible. Now, to understand this better, it's important to know that SSTO refers to a spacecraft reaching orbit with only one stage, without shedding parts like traditional rockets, like boosters falling off and falling into the ocean. And this concept, while theoretically appealing, has not yet been achieved from Earth. Musk's response highlights the significant role of Earth's gravity in dictating spacecraft design. He points out that Mars, with its surface gravity, about 37% of Earth's would require less energy to escape its gravitational pull, making SSTO a more viable option there. Now, this insight is crucial as SpaceX continues to develop its Starship for interplanetary travel, especially considering the recent challenges the spacecraft has faced. In recent developments, the Starship's second launch attempt on November 18th encountered a little bit of a setback. The mission saw successful stage separation, which is great, but the booster experienced an explosion shortly thereafter while doing its kickback and backflip maneuver. Now, furthermore, the spacecraft lost contact with SpaceX after reaching an altitude of nearly 150 kilometers. That's the Starship part. And this failure to complete its intended round-trip flight and splash down the Pacific Ocean was a success. It wasn't quite a failure but it's not deterrent. Musk, showcasing his unwavering determination, announced that the hardware for Starship Flight 3 should be ready to fly in three to four weeks, indicating SpaceX's commitment to overcoming these hurdles. Now, the discussion about the SSTO and the challenges of spacecraft design in varying gravitational environments opens up broader considerations for space exploration. And as humanity looks towards expeditions to Mars and perhaps even beyond, the engineering and design choices made right now today by SpaceX will lay the groundwork for these future endeavors. Musk's insights into Starship design and the rationale behind his two-stage configuration provide a glimpse into the complex 
and multifaceted nature of designing a spacecraft of this magnitude that's capable of not just leaving Earth's orbit, but also landing on and taking off from other celestial bodies. SpaceX is preparing to transition to the second version of the Starship Upper Stage, following two explosive tests of the current version. In a recent update, Musk revealed the last four Version 1 Starships at Boca Chica, Starbase, Texas, signaling the end of this development phase and the beginning of an upgraded version. The announcement comes in the wake of two test launches of the Mega Rocket, one in April and the other earlier this month, both of which ended in the destruction of the rocket. And despite these setbacks, SpaceX continues to demonstrate resilience and progress. The second test, known as the IFT-2 mission, showed notable improvements, including a smoother launch, more effective performance from the booster's Raptor engines, and the successful implementation of a new stage separation technique called hot staging. Now, while the upcoming changes in Starship V2 may not be radical, they're crucial for the rocket's development. Musk indicated that these upgrades would include increased propellant capabilities, a reduction in dry mass, and overall greater reliability. Importantly, these enhancements focus on the Starship upper stage, distinct from the Super Heavy booster. And one significant development for Starship V2 is a next-generation Raptor engine. Musk expressed enthusiasm about the Raptor 3, which is expected to offer higher efficiency, increased thrust, and the elimination of the need for a heat shield, reducing the rocket's weight. Now, this new engine is projected to deliver approximately 17% more thrust than its predecessor. SpaceX is also contemplating a change in the Starship configuration, potentially featuring nine Raptor engines instead of the current six. This would include three engines optimized for atmospheric use and six for space, enhancing the rocket's payload capabilities. Furthermore, the company is considering increasing the propellant volume by modifying the fuel tanks and possibly extending Starship's height, thereby allowing for more fuel storage and extended mission range. Despite the focus on V2, though, SpaceX plans to continue launching its Version 1 Starships, with four remaining ships identified for potential future tests. The third flight test is expected to occur soon, with Musk suggesting that the necessary hardware will be ready in a few weeks. However, the exact timing of this launch remains uncertain. The second Starship launch was noteworthy for its attempt at hot staging, a risky maneuver for such a large rocket. In this phase involved igniting the Raptor engines of the upper stage while still attached to the booster, following by a smooth separation of the two stages. Now, despite this success, both the booster and the upper stage ultimately failed, with the booster exploding above the Gulf of Mexico and the upper stage meeting a similar fate later in the flight. And the reasons behind these failures are still being investigated, with speculation around the stresses of hot staging and potential issues with engine relighting. The successful aspects of the launch, including the booster's initial performance and the upper stage's entry into outer space, provide valuable data for SpaceX's ongoing development of the Starship. And before proceeding to the third flight test, SpaceX must obtain a new launch license from the Federal Aviation Administration. This process will involve a joint investigation into the cause of the previous flight's failures, aiming to prevent similar issues in future launches. And despite the challenges faced, the recent tests have not caused any injuries or damage to public property. And the Boca Chica facility's infrastructure, including a new water deluge system, performed perfectly. While the road to the fully operational Starship is filled with these challenges, each test brings SpaceX closer to fully realizing their goal of a fully reusable, cost-efficient launch system 
for interplanetary travel from the Earth to the Moon to Mars and beyond. We're going to be talking about astronomy. And in the vast expanse of the universe, there lies a peculiar anomaly within the realm of exoplanetary science. Despite the discovery and cataloging of over 5,000 exoplanets by various space agencies, a notable absence of exoplanets with diameters between 1.5 and 2 times that of Earth has puzzled scientists. A recent study utilizing data from the retired Kepler Space Telescope offers an intriguing explanation for the size gap, suggesting a process where the cores of these planets might be expelling their atmospheres from the inside. Now, we have to talk about two things here, super-Earths and sub-Neptunes before we continue. Now, super-Earths are a class of exoplanets that are larger than Earth, but smaller than Uranus and Neptune. Their sizes typically range from Earth's diameter up to around 1.5 times larger. And these planets can be either rocky like Earth or composed of a significant amount of water or gas, but they lack the extensive gaseous envelopes they characterize the larger gas giants, and super-Earths are intriguing because of their potential to harbor life, as some could have conditions similar to Earth, depending on their composition and their distance from their star. Now, sub-Neptunes, on the other hand, are slightly larger, with diameters ranging up to about twice that of Earth. They're often characterized by thicker gaseous envelopes compared to super-Earths, making them more akin to many versions of Neptune or Uranus. This gaseous layer typically consists of hydrogen and helium, remnants from the planet's formation. Now, sub-Neptunes are particularly interesting because their size and composition suggest they occupy a transitional space between terrestrial planets like Earth and larger gas giants. And the crux of this study coming up by Christensen and the team revolves around these two categories of exoplanets. The research suggests that sub-Neptunes may be losing their atmospheres due to core-powered mass loss, causing them to shrink in size and potentially transition into super-Earths. The crux of this mystery lies in the size range between super-Earths and sub-Neptunes, and prior research indicates that sub-Neptunes are prone to losing their atmospheres, especially if they lack the necessary mass to maintain a strong gravitational hold. And if sub-Neptunes do indeed shed their atmospheres due to insufficient mass, they would naturally diminish in size to become comparable to super-Earths, thereby creating the observed gap. Now, the study led by Jesse Christensen of Caltech, who also serves as a science lead for NASA's Exoplanet Archive, explores the mechanisms behind this atmospheric loss. Two primary theories have been posited. Core-powered mass loss and photoevaporation. Christensen's research provides evidence supporting the former core-powered mass loss. Now, core-powered mass loss occurs when a planet's hot core emits radiation that gradually dissipates the atmosphere. This contrasts with photoevaporation, which involves the radiation from a star, such as solar winds and solar flares, stripping away the atmosphere of its orbiting exoplanet. Christensen's team relied on data from NASA's K2 mission, an extension of the Kepler mission. They focused on the star clusters Presepe and Hyades, aged 600 million to 800 million years, to determine the prevalence of atmospheric loss mechanisms. And since these exoplanets are considered young enough to have avoided core-powered mass loss, but old enough to have potentially experienced photoevaporation, their current state could indicate which process is more influential. 
The findings were revealing. Most stars in these clusters still had sub-Neptunes, or other atmospheric exoplanets in orbit. And unlike older stars observed by K2, where only a quarter had sub-Neptunes, this discrepancy suggested that photoevaporation was not a significant factor in these younger systems, pointing towards core-powered mass loss as the primary mechanism for atmospheric loss in sub-Neptunes. Now, compiling this data was a rigorous task, taking over five years to create the necessary catalog of exoplanets. And while the study sheds light on the size gap in atmospheric loss, it also opens avenues for further research into the dynamics of exoplanetary atmospheres and their evolutionary processes. Upcoming studies are expected to build upon and scrutinize these findings, though, potentially reshaping our understanding of exoplanet formation and the development of planets outside of our solar system. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I really do appreciate your support throughout the years that I've been doing this show. Now, if you want to support us even more, hit the subscribe or the follow button on your podcast platform that you're listening on right now. Helps us out just a little bit. We get a new listener, which is awesome. Welcome to the Flight Club if you hit the subscribe button. We do appreciate you. And if you want to help more, go to patreon.com slash stage zero, S-T-A-G-E-Z-E-R-O. And you can help us out over there and support our show. And we have a lot of Patreon supporters that continue to support us throughout the months. So without you, we couldn't do it. Also, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, StarshipShirts.com. If you want to get Starship inspired and SpaceX inspired and NASA inspired gear, go over there, StarshipShirts.com and pick yourself up a t-shirt, any size, they ship anywhere and they're printed just for you. Also, Every episode of the show is about 10 minutes or under. We post every single day. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the latest news from NASA, SpaceX, and other spaceflight companies. Please take care of yourselves and each other, and I will see you tomorrow.